0: To firewall as usual. I'm your host Bradley Tusk. Uh, this is a Tuesday episode, so with us as usual is our friend and producer Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going?
1: Good. It's a lovely cold ass day here on the Lower East Side at PT Knitwear.
0: Yeah, yeah it's. Um, winter has finally come.
1: My you night. looked really cold when you arrived this morning. You had I the coffees the and you looked, you looked miserable. I have
0: to say, you know, as, as soon as Lyle is out of the house, which is still not for another four or five years, I am out of the house not five years. spending another winter in New York City. I love this city. Miami, L.A.? What's going to be? L.A. LA. Okay. Yeah, but January, February, March, April, I'm out of here. Oh, Jesus. All right. April is a little tricky because of opening day with the Mets and stuff, so we'll see. But but January, February, March, for sure.
1: Okay. Well, in five years, we'll we'll check back about that. <laughs> um, well, we'll have the P T Knitwear Studio somewhere in LA then, right?
0: Yeah, I guess we'll have to. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, Bradley, what are we talking about today?
0: Um, so, I wrote a column over the weekend, kind of based on you know, my daughter Abby is in the eleventh grade. She was actually on a podcast that we did here uh, about a month ago. I think it was October first. Um, your daughters are also in the eleventh grade at the same school. And that means we're in the college application process. In fact, I think we're both going to an event at the school tonight about it. And, and I was just kind of thinking about, both in context of, of Abby and her friends, and also my students at uh, Columbia Business School, and kind of you know what really matters and what doesn't when it actually comes to career success. And I think kind of what hit me is that there's a really big misconception in society where we confuse sort of IQ and academic performance um, for overall, for the skills that one would need to be truly successful in the workplace. And this is just about the workplace, not about your life overall. Um, And and I think that that really does uh, kids a disservice, because... You know, they spend so much time desperately worrying about which Ivy League school or whether they get to the 32nd-best school in the country in the U.S. news reports as opposed to the 42nd-best school in the country and every GPA point and everything else. And the reality is, um, based on now the 27 years that I've been in the workforce in so many different capacities, right, whether it's in government and politics on the campaign side, on the, you know, running the state of Illinois, uh, an entrepreneur, CEO, head of a venture capital fund, as a philanthropist, as a, a writer, and a columnist, and a podcaster, as a small business owner, as a professor. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've seen this from so many different angles. And I started writing up, and this is, shows you how exciting my Saturday night. You did this on Saturday night? I did. I did. I mean, we did a, fun, a few fun things this weekend. Lyle and I saw Black Panther 2, which I highly recommend. Okay.
1: Uh, Abby and I went... How to, long are the fight scenes? The first Black Panther, the fight scenes were so shorter, long. Shorter. Shorter, yeah.
0: And then uh, Abby and I went to the Giants game yesterday. Oh, my God. Um, so we did some stuff. But Wait, Saturday, whose idea was that? It was uh, Josh, my brother-in-law, had oh, okay. uh, tickets and invited us. Okay. Um, so Abby and I decided to go. But... Um, Saturday night, I had no plans, um, and I wrote this column, uh, which we'll put up on Medium when this podcast comes out, and just trying to really look at, okay, if if IQ and academic performance is not the relevant skill set for career success, what is? uh, That's what we're going to talk about.
1: So I have one quick question before that. So as Bradley said, Abby's in 11th grade, as are my two girls. Um, Do you talk about careers with her at all? I mean, even even in a kind of blue sky, like,
0: you could do this, you could do that. A little bit. I mean, sometimes if if something interests her, we'll talk about what that might look like in the real world. I, I think I have really successfully convinced her that where you go to college does not matter, and so I think a lot of that pressure has been removed, but I'm also very wary of inadvertently putting that pressure back on her, so... You're, you you think you might put it back on her? Like I just think that offhand comments from parents probably have a bigger impact on our kids than we realize sometimes. I see. And so I... Really, really want my kids to understand that while well, I want them to do their best, that's all I care about. I don't care what their grades are. I don't care where they go to college. Um, I don't need to put a fucking sticker on the back of my car. Um, you know, <laughs> I already I already took care of my insecurity by spending lots of money on a car, so that you know that's good enough. Um, so uh, so I, I I talk to her about it more more broadly, but just in kind of you know things she might enjoy. But she's 16, you know, let her take the next decade to explore the world and see what different stuff she likes and she's interested in. And, you know, I'm really excited for her to go to college, especially because she's one of those kids who does really, really well in classes she likes and not nearly as well in classes she doesn't, um, simply because she's either engaged or she isn't. And when you get to college, you know, 80 plus percent of what you take is is of your own choosing. Um, So I think she's really going to like it.
1: Okay, so your first category is just on traditional intelligence, and your, your, your sort of bullet point is that traditional intelligence is wildly overrated. Um, I mean, Abby's a super-intelligent kid, so yep. what, what's, your, what's your point by... The, the, point even, is,
0: the point is this, there are probably some professions like quantum physicist, cancer researcher, or whatever it might be, where every IQ point perhaps does actually make a material difference in your ability. But when I look at all the stuff that I've done, and I've done stuff in lots of different industries at this point, you know, whether your IQ is 112 or 132, I don't think it makes the slightest fucking difference in the world. Um, Intelligence is necessary to have a baseline of it to be able to do lots of different things. But once you hit the baseline, everything above that incrementally has extremely little value, and yet we still attach more importance to that differential than anything else, but I think it's actually the least important differential.
1: But don't you, as an employer, right, isn't sort of the goal to like hire people who are smarter than you? Isn't that like what sure. you want to do?
0: The goal is to hire people who have the different skills that's necessary to succeed at whatever it is I need them for. Um, Corey Epstein, who's our newest uh, team member and is, is working with me on, on communications on lots of different projects, is sitting across from us. Um, I have no clue where Corey went to college. I could care less. Um, so you know, I, I, yes, I want people who are talented. But just using Corey as the example here and it will embarrass him because he's sitting right here. I hired him because I was just
1: about to ask him. I mean, I do know where he we went to college, but that's all
0: right. I don't. I don't care. Um, I hired him because he had incredibly relevant experience. He impressed lots of people up and down our kind of chain as, as he was being interviewed. Came up with lots of really creative ideas. He's incredibly persistent, and those were the qualities that impressed me and made me want to work with him. Um, you know, not what his IQ is or where he went to school. He is unquestionably smart enough to do right. his
1: job. I did notice in the and I read the first big Sam Bankman-Fried profile. In the, in the I don't know if mainstream media is exactly the right but the first big Wall Street Journal and it was only like a year and a half ago it wasn't even that long ago and it definitely highlighted that he went to MIT and that his parents were both Stanford law professors it was like this it was almost it was in fact, like a validation of him, like if he was presented that way. Sure,
0: because if you're a, where where, where, where was the story published? You said the journal? The Wall Street Journal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I think Wall Street Journal reporters are often sort of inculcated in the exact same mindset that we just talked about. Um, I'll tell you this, for, for tech founders, when I look at someone's pitch deck, and when they have their team page, if you mention where you went to college, I just it's a red flag for me. I just think you're douchey. and I'm like, I'm not gonna want to work with this person. So why do you teach
1: at Columbia Business School and not, say, you know, like a like a public university school where you could where you because the, these these are like privileged kids who get to go to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Why not go teach at a school with, where where they don't get that 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 sort of like, Fancy piece of paper. Two
0: two, two reasons. The first one is they're the only ones that asked. Oh, really? Nobody else has ever asked me if I want them to teach at their school or not. And so they did. And I said, sure. Um, The the second is the little world of tech and regulation that I'm trying to proselytize about, whether it's on this podcast or my columns or speeches I gave or anything else, um, needs to be taken seriously by people who are in the tech and venture capital world. You do have, out of a school like Columbia, probably a higher number of people going into things like VC or operational roles at tech startups. Um, As a result, the more of them that I can convince to take this stuff seriously, the more that can overall achieve what I'm trying to do here.
1: Okay, so your second category is creativity. So I have a very specific question about that, which is, especially when you're hiring, how do you... Measure someone's creativity. What are what are the things you're looking for? Where you're like, oh, this is a creative person or not creative person, or they have this kind of creative skill. Like, what do you? What do you? What yeah. clues do you well, use?
0: Well, again, we're gonna just because he's sitting here, we're gonna use Corey as the example. Oh my God! So we asked Corey. <laughs> Corey for, had no idea. Uh, right. <laughs> um, we asked Corey to come up with. We're gonna have to have Corey turn his
1: mic on, by the way, so hey, it's not like some phantom ghost.
0: If, uh, yeah, if he even really exists. Um, <laughs> I promise I do. We we asked him. Hey, okay, So. So you're in charge of helping us publicize PT and You know, we need more sales. We need more customers. How do we do it? And Corey came up with this whole streetwear concept that I didn't like at all. Um, however, and we're never going to do it, but it <laughs> was he, really clever.
1: Corey, it, you're fired. And it was, <laughs> no,
0: it, was, it got on the job. It was clever. It was creative. He was thinking about things in a different way. It's not specifically the idea that I would go for, but you know what? When we live in a world where everything we do out of Tusk is just coming from my brain, two things happen. One, it, it we really lose because there's no monopoly on good ideas, and two, I have a lot of bad ideas also. But if that's the only production happening, then everyone's just incentivized to say yes to me all day, and in which case, we do stupid shit. And so, um, often for us, it's things like writing assignments. Um, now, look, there are jobs that we hire for that require creativity less. They're more about execution. And also these days, I'm, I'm not involved in, in most of our hiring. Um, but at least for jobs like this where it's like, okay, um, I have all this shit that I want to do out there in the world. I want to promote mobile voting. I want to promote this podcast. I want to promote P&T Knitwear. I want to take whatever fucking idea is in my head or that we're working on and put it out there into the world. Creativity is one of the absolute most important skills you can have. Um, And so that was important to me. Um,
1: Category number three character matters a lot. You're right. Again, I'm going to ask the same question of how. I, I, maybe you'll have to use Corey as an example again. But how do you measure we know, character? We don't know Corey's character yet. We don't. Yeah. Well, but we it's must. We, you had to make a, a at least a guess at it. You had to know that he wasn't a bad guy. Well, but this. Um, keep in mind
0: this whole. You're, you're making it sound like this entire column that I wrote is about hiring. Right. Um, and it's not. It's okay. about. It's about how do you succeed professionally, and the character point is not to say that there is necessarily a strong correlation between kind of morality and career success. In fact, I think we can point to lots of people across the world who there's a very negative correlation and it has still worked out for them well from a career perspective. But I think that if you're going to lead other people and work with other people, they appreciate consistency, right? So if, if they can count on you to be consistently honest, consistently transparent, reliable, straightforward and just decent towards them um, then they instead of having to waste a lot of time um, trying to figure out how to interpret you and how to make you happy they know and they can just go focus on their jobs and do their jobs and if you take it a step further and you know all of my businesses and entities are really just stolen from the culture that Mike Bloomberg has at, at Bloomberg LP which is if you hire really, really talented people, and again, to me, talented people is not that people went to the best schools. It's talented people who have the, the qualities that we're going to discuss in this podcast today. And you pay them well, and you treat them well, and you give them autonomy, and you give them flexibility. And when they have problems, you work with them on them. Um, they will not only perform well. They will stay, so your attention will be a lot higher. They will, they will climb mountains for you. It, it creates the kind of culture and environment that you want. And so, at least for the people at the top, character is really important. You know, you all—we all have friends who kind of hate their job, and the reason they hate their job is they hate their boss, and the reason they hate their boss is that their boss just has sort of weak character, and everything kind of flows from the top, good or bad. And so, you know, whether it's your first coming up or you're then become a leader, whether it's in the middle of an organization or the top of an organization or anything else, giving people a consistent persona is really important.
1: Um, hustle is number four. Um, By the way, these weren't ranked. Oh, they're? Okay. No,
0: no, I just... They were as they occurred to me as I was writing.
1: Okay. So so just uh, in, on the list, they do see... I mean, okay. Uh,
0: hustle... I mean, I, presumably they they occurred to me. The more important ones popped into my head before the less important ones. Right. But uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. actually rank
1: them. So, uh, so Hustle, give us an example of... Hustle, even like a, like actually, you talked about one in the in the podcast you just did with Guy um, about when you met Ed Rendell. Yeah, I'll tell that story.
0: That's um, it's sort of the ultimate hustle. Okay, story,
1: to, right? so and and that's a, like a definitional like because if you hadn't done that, where would you be? Correct. Go so
0: um, I grew up interested in politics, but not connected to anything. Where I'm a first generation American, um, we didn't know anybody. But in 1992, the Democratic convention happened to be here in New York. It was the Bill Clinton-nominating convention. And my dad had a friend who was a lawyer for the Carpenters Union, a guy named Brian O'Dwyer. Brian's a really, really lovely man. And Brian knew that I was interested in politics. And so when the convention came, he called me and said, hey, I can get you a Carpenter's Pass for a day would you want to go?
1: Did you have to do any
0: carpentry? Just a little bit. Like light carpentry, <laughs> stuff that I normally would be Because now I'm
1: light. really nervous it's like all Madison Square Garden is going to fall down.
0: Um, and, and so I um, go to the office. I get the pass. And if you look in the newspaper, it says convention noon to midnight. Now, in reality, anyone who's ever been to a convention knows it's like 8 to 11. It's just when the primetime TV is happening and the rest of it is totally useless. But I don't know that. I'm fucking 17, 18 at the time. So... Um, I show up at the garden, and it's empty, right? It's like, there's like two guys running for state rep in Montana speaking, and like pretty much no one else. But Ed Rendell, who at the time was the mayor of the city of Philadelphia, was sitting in the audience by himself. I don't know why. I've asked him half a dozen times over the years uh, whether he knows why. He never knows the answer either. But I saw him. I said to myself, OK, uh, he's ultimately a Jewish guy from New York who moved to Philly. You're a Jewish guy from New York. He went to Penn. You go to Penn. He's the mayor of Philly. You go to school in Philly, um, you go say hi. What's the worst that could happen? And Randell is this sort of lovely, gregarious man who was, you know, probably talking to the empty seat next to him until I got there anyway. And, you know, we spent 10, 15 minutes chatting, and uh, at the end of the conversation, he says to me, are you busy? Are you back to school? And the answer is, no, not really. Um, <laughs> and so he said, do you want an internship? And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I go home. He said, Send me know. We'll set it up. I go home, I write a letter. Every day, I open the mailbox looking for this response. Nothing. And what I know now, but didn't know then, is correspondence is the black hole of government. Everything goes in, nothing comes out. In fact, one of the reasons that we led the Series A of IndieGov which is a constituent management software company and our only golf tech investment throughout all of our venture portfolio. So they've actually figured out how to help solve this problem, which to me was really important. Um, so I never hear back from them. Uh, school starts, I get back to Philly, and I don't know what I was thinking, I guess it's this hustle, uh, but I thought, yeah, I'll go see him. So I show up at City Hall, and this is you know almost a decade before 9-11, so security is not what it is today. And I get to his outer office, so not like the people who sort of patch calls through to him directly, but kind of the, the people at the, the front lines, and I said, it's the mayor here. And they're just bewildered by my question because, typically speaking, you know when they get that question, it's one of two things— um, it's either someone protesting, right, but I wasn't protesting anything, or it's a crazy person, and I wasn't crazy. I was just this sort of naive 18-year-old kid. Um, so they said, well, he's a little busy. And I said, well, could I leave a note? I said, okay. So leave a note. I get back on the SEPTA, which is the Philly training system, to go back to the dorm. Kind of halfway through the ride, I'm like, you fucking idiot. Like, you can't just go see the mayor. Like, that's embarrassing. Cross this one off your list. Get back to my room. Phone rings 15, 20 minutes later. Please help for the mayor. Bradley, when he's come to work, I'll be right there. Um, worked for him all through college. So that's sort of an extreme example of hustle. But I will say there was a guy who used to work at our venture fund, Yoni Reckman. He's now at a fund called Slow Ventures that heard me tell the story on Kara Swisher's podcast, showed up at our office. He was a student at NYU at the time and brought in his resume and did it enough that he got himself hired initially as an intern at Touch Strategies, moved his way over to the Venture Capital Fund, and is now like a genuine venture capitalist. And so, uh, not just me.
1: So, uh, I'm going to combine these next two just because the, the way you wrote it is sort of combined. But risk tolerance is critical. Being able to sell is even more important. So, I have a question on that, that applies to both those. Okay. So, can those things... I mean, can they be learned? I, I, the second one, learning how to sell, I, I think it's pretty obvious that, that you can learn how to sell, if you, especially if you have a good kind of teacher who has a kind of intuitive grasp of it. But risk tolerance, are people either risk tolerant or they're I, not?
0: I think so. Um, here's the problem. Society has defined it to be cool to have a high-risk tolerance. You know, the gambler, uh, the entrepreneur, the person putting it all out there on the line. And as a result, young people feel like they should have a high-risk tolerance because that's what's considered preferable. And the reality is, it's just you do or you don't. And neither is inherently better than the other. Um, There are some people who can take a lot of risk and they are comfortable with it. And by the way, doesn't mean that there's no anxiety around it. I take tremendous amounts of risk every day, and I do have anxiety. Um, But it's anxiety that I can manage and live with. Um, And the truth is, the lack of risk actually creates a bigger problem for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But for other people... You know, if your stomach's been churning all night and you can't sleep and you can't eat because all you're worried about is this constant risk that you're taking, it's not for you, right? There's no right or wrong answer for a career. There's certainly no right or wrong answer for how to live your life or how to be happy. Um, and so, risk tolerance is something that some people have, some people don't. I will say that in certain professions, a high risk tolerance. Does increase your chances of nonlinear success. So, what do I mean by nonlinear success? The world where, for example, where you go to school probably does make a difference are in these very conventional, very laddered professional class type jobs lawyer, management consultant, investment banker. If your goal is to be a partner at Wachtel or McKinsey or Goldman, Then where you go to college does matter. Where you go to business school or law school matters. um, And every honor along the way matters. But those are jobs typically with relatively requiring low risk tolerance. You might get to a place within Goldman, for example, where you're in prop trading or something that does require some, some risk tolerance. But overall, those are structures that you exist within. The path to success and advancement has already been defined. You're just checking off box after box. You just have to sort of jump through the next hurdle that's presented in front of you. You don't have to figure out what the hurdle is in the first place. But if you want nonlinear success, which means you're creating something that didn't exist before, um, whether it's a company or an idea or anything else, um, that requires you to be able to really say, I'm going to put it all out there and I can fail. And by the way, fail doesn't just mean like, oh, I failed. It's a good story for, you know, my next cocktail party that I go to. Failure means like you have to move apartments because you can't afford your rent anymore. It means you have to pull your kid out of private school because you can't afford the tuition. Um, it means that you're really embarrassed, right? So failure is, is, is not insignificant. You have to be willing to say, I will take all of that risk simply because I can't not. Do it, And so in some ways, risk tolerance almost at a high level it isn't even an option for those people who have it like me. You just have to do it. So I don't think it can really be learned. I think that you could probably train yourself to take on a little more risk than you might otherwise, uh, but it's still basically going to be uh, you know at someone else's behest and lead.
1: Um- Street smarts is your... Well, let's go to selling. You you want want to do selling, Well, because
0: it's it's interesting in that can you... Because the question you asked, I I was debating when I was writing this. um, Can you learn how to sell? So, yes. You know, someone can learn how to go door-to-door and sell Tupperware or whatever it is, and they will get better at it with more reps like anything else. Um, And there are books you can read and classes you can take and everything else.
1: But I like your Tupperware example. That's a nice kind of old-school touch. Yeah, yeah, right, right, the Tupperware. whole
0: right, MML world there. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think either you love to sell or you don't. I fucking love to sell. And the reality is, when I was at the Parks Department as their press secretary when I was 20, 21 years old... And I was pitching stories about playground openings, fucking gleefully. I'm <laughs> like every day. You sold some good playgrounds. Yeah, uh, yeah, sold a lot of good playgrounds. Um, and you know, is that that ultimately was the exact same mentality and skill set that when I started touch strategies, let me get clients. When I started touch ventures, let me get LPs, and that helps me win deals uh, from founders and everything else that I do. But I really enjoy it. I get such a rush from selling successfully that it makes me want to do it over and over and over again. And as a result, I'm pretty good at it, right? And so can you learn it and get better at it? Sure. I have all kinds of things I don't like doing and that I'm not as bad as I used to be. Name uh, one. Because uh, patience, you know, while I'm still really impatient, I am more patient than I used to be. I've noticed that. That's um, true. And that's because I understand that it has some real value.
1: Also, you have Megan.
0: How does she help my patients? She helps your patients. She does? Yeah, she does. Why?
1: She's constantly suggesting you be patient.
0: Okay. I think she helps. Huh. You might have just undermined her completely. Oh
1: fuck! You fuck!
0: Just, but just, I
1: think it's a very positive influence, and she has it. it she, it, I mean, you already value her, so I do. So um,
0: um, Megan my chief of staff. Yeah. By the way. She's um,
1: very good at making Bradley
0: patient. So, so there are things you can learn and improve at, um, but I think with sales, at the end of the day, either you just fucking love it or you don't.
1: Um, okay, I want to ask about street smart. What is street smarts? Like, I, like, I, I think of street smarts like from the nineteen seventies when I was growing up in New York, and it was like how not to get mugged was like how I thought of street smarts. Um, how do you think I'll, of street well, smarts? Let's,
0: let's put it in a modern day venture capital context, okay. right? All day.
1: Very, which, very little of which takes place on the street, but go ahead. It takes place on Zoom
0: now, but. Um, All day, we get pitched by people who have an idea, they're starting a company, or they've started a company, and they need money to run the company, and they want money from touch venture partners, right? And street smarts means listening to this founder talk and saying, this person's full of shit, or this person is not. This person is faking it until they make it, or they actually understand what they're talking about. Um, This person is able to inspire other people and lead, or they're all about themselves and they can't do anything beyond that. Um, and so to me at least, you know, even in the modern world that I live in, um, streets march is very relevant. I'll tell you where it really fucking mattered was when I was, you know, in Illinois as deputy governor, you know, Chicago politics, Illinois politics is rough, right? You know, people go to jail all the time. <laughs> it does sound rough. And <laughs> you have to have um, the, the street smarts to know when to pursue something, when not to. People come to you with opportunities all the time, ideas all the time, and most of the time it's a bad idea. Most of the time they're you know just trying to help themselves even though they purport to help care about something else, and you've got to know when. Or I'll give you an example. Mayor Daley uh, wanted to open up a city-owned casino in Chicago, which from a public policy standpoint has some merit to the concept itself. I've I've been intrigued by that. However, it's fucking Chicago. Everybody is corrupt. You know, the daily administration suffered massive amounts of corruption. The administration I was in, Blagojevich, Rod went to jail for, I think, served eight years. We got sentenced to 14 years in jail for corruption. There is no way this can end well. There is no world that, even though you can show me, yes, it will generate more proceeds for the taxpayers. Yes, it is crazy that people who want to gamble who live in Chicago or visit Chicago have to cross the border to Indiana to do so. He's just giving away money and everything else. It would be better in some ways if we can capture more of that revenue, more of that profit, and put it back into schools or parks or whatever it is. But you just look at all the people who are inherently going to be involved. You're like, no fucking way. And look... Everyone around me in the Boulogneville world loved it because guess what? There were those people, right? right? And right. they saw all this opportunity for themselves. And, you know, I was ultimately the deputy governor, not the governor, but because the, because the governor never came to work, even if he wanted to do something, if I just didn't do it, it didn't happen. Um, and in this case, we didn't do it. So um, H Street Smarts comes in, but it's really keeping yourself out of trouble and I think I have a parenthetical in that oh so it is like not being mugged
1: it is like that it is keeping yourself out of trouble I think that's a good definition
0: yeah is is obey the fucking law right like all the guys Chicago again was the perfect epitome of this who are they're so smart no one's ever going to catch on to what they're doing you know they've got everyone out smarter. they're so clever they all go to fucking jail right (laughs) just obey the law and figure out how to succeed within the bounds of what's legal
1: Um, speed matters.
0: Yeah, this one may be very particular to me. I I tend to work at a really, really fast pace, and therefore, I might overvalue it to a certain extent, but it seems to me that, you know, if I want to impress somebody and I say, well, what do you do for a living? I own a public consulting firm, I own a venture capital fund, I own another consulting firm, I own a bookstore, I own a podcast studio, I host a podcast, I write a column, I write books, I teach at Columbia, I have a foundation, I'm pushing mobile voting, I'm pushing hunger, I'm working on telemedicine for abortion, all this other shit that we do. Um, Part of the reason why I'm able to do that is I just work really fast. I process things fast, I execute them fast, and what I've also learned is to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So I think what I wrote in that piece is, something that's 88% as good at 50% of the time is a lot more valuable, than something that's 98% is, is good in 100% of the time, right? Um, if productivity is the key measure of economic output, speed is the key facilitator of productivity. Um, and if you can get twice as much done as everyone else, um, then you're going to do better. And even if that's sort of not, your personality, there are still things you can learn around that. So for example, I realized really early in my academic career, you're far better off if you have to write a paper, just get something on, get a draft done. Don't worry about how good or bad it is. Get something on paper because where you will improve it materially and get a better grade is in the editing process, right? Not in the thinking process. To me, the people who are always thinking, thinking, contemplating. Like They never fucking get anything done, right? And so if, if, You need to get things done more quickly. You gotta just fucking do them. And don't worry if it's not perfect. Don't worry if someone's gonna criticize you or complain or whatever else. Just get stuff out there, get moving. And ultimately, if you do that, your employers will appreciate that. Um, And they'll be willing to understand that even if what you delivered is only 88% as good instead of 98% as good, they will say, you know what, that's worth it to me. And then they might send you back and say, look, in this particular case, Take some more time. Let's get the extra 10%. But most of the time, you know what? It's good enough.
1: Uh, Ability to handle failure.
0: Yeah. Look, no one likes to fail, right? So like there's this myth in Silicon Valley of how like failure is so great because we learn from our mistakes and then, you know, we won't make them when we start the next company. That's true. Hopefully we all learn from our mistakes. Um, I think the distinction is, can you get off the mat or not? Right? And again, this comes back to knowing yourself, um, whether it's risk tolerance or anything else. So I fail a lot, and it sucks, right? So I started a tele religion social media platform uh, about two years ago called Exalt. Um, We declared bankruptcy and shut it down this past summer. Um, I thought it was a good idea to run Andrew Yang for mayor of New York City. We lost. Definitionally, because we are early stage venture investors, 25, 35% of our deals, we expect to fail on Code to Zero. I wrote a TV show and my partner was Steven Soderbergh, and I was certain that it was going to get on the air and be a big thing. Never went anywhere. Um, I fail all the time. And by the way, it makes me feel bad. It's not like you fail and like the people who are good at it just sort of brush it off completely, you just brush it off faster. Right. So, for example, uh, I wrote a novel recently, and my agent sent it out to publishers. It's sitting in front of them. No one has jumped at it yet, so clearly it's not. No one thinks it's going to be the next Harry Potter. Um, didn't Harry? Didn't
1: she get a whole bunch of rejections she, on Harry Potter? Yeah, she yeah.
0: did. That's kind of why I said that. Um, I
1: see. But
0: um, it's
1: like e- Harry Potter. know novel, even right? if
0: everyone rejects it, and I think someone will eventually choose to publish it. But even if everyone does. Will I maybe not write fiction for six months or a year because I'll feel really bad? Yeah. And then will I go do it again? Yeah. Even knowing that odds are uh, that one probably won't work either. Um, you got to be willing to keep going. And, you know, unlike speed or salesmanship or um, risk tolerance... I think you can learn how to get off the mat better. I think you can toughen yourself up. I think you can steel yourself and, and develop more resolve. And so, look, if if you're not that ambitious and you just kind of want to coast through your job, yeah, then just do easy stuff and you probably won't fail. But if you are trying to accomplish truly meaningful things in the world, things that haven't been done by anybody else before, but that there's a reason now why it does. We only do stuff because no one's ever done it before, usually. Um, It means you're going to fail a lot, and you got to be able to just live with it.
1: Uh, Patience is a virtue. We talked about this already, I guess. Um, Virtue that I lack. Do you have anything else that you want to add to that?
0: Just, you know, I make mistakes all the time because of my impatience, right? I send that email too fast, I send that text too fast, I push something, I make a decision too fast, and it's not because it had to happen at that moment, but because I am so impatient that I just wanted to cross it off my fucking list, or I just wanted to create some sort of action around it. And sometimes it works, but a lot of the time, had I just waited a little longer, had I listened to the people around me, I would have gotten the result I wanted, either faster, easier, or just would have happened instead of not happening. So it's a virtue. Now look. Patience is also an excuse used by people who are just slow and procrastinate and don't do anything. And so there's a distinction between people using patience as an excuse for inaction and people using patience uh, to actually make better decisions. But I wish I were more patient.
1: Being non-judgmental is surprisingly important.
0: Yeah, I, this is something else that I really have worked on a tremendous amount personally over the past decade or so, um, which is. And I think this is a place where, in some way, society is really improving, um, which is, you know, just accept people for who and what they are. Someone doesn't have to look like you, think like you, act like you, tweet like you, and all that stuff just to be able to work with them. you got to work with all kinds of different people. Um, and it's OK if you disagree with them on certain things, as long as there's commonality on the thing that's actually relevant to you. That's all that really matters, right? In fact, recently, um, I had a guy named Brian Ballard, who's the top Republican lobbyist in Florida, one of the top lobbyists in this country, speak to my class. And, you know, it's it's a New York City school. People are very liberal. They didn't really want to hear from someone who, you know, takes positions that are very pro-Trump, and and Ballard is a Trump guy. Um, But the reason that I brought Brian in, and he was very gracious to do this because he understood what he was walking into, is said to my students, you can't only talk to people who think like you do or have the same views that you do. In the real world, if you insist on living in safe spaces, you're not going to achieve a single fucking thing. Um, and you have to be willing to work with people from different perspectives and different backgrounds. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons politics is such a great business is it just forces you to do that. Um, and live and let live, man. And I have to say, even though this podcast specifically, this column is about. Career and not personal. Generally speaking, the more that you can just accept people for who and what they are, and not get worked up about it, it just makes your life a lot better.
1: We're on to our final entry: being tough, being able to say no.
0: Yeah, this I struggle with this one. This is an, uh, another thing that I am really not particularly good at at all. And and partly the way that I've dealt with it is just by outsourcing it to people who work for me. Um, but you know. Uh, it, if you see yourself as a good person, as a helpful person in the world, then your instinct is generally to say yes and to try to help people. But the problem is um, th- that comes often at the you know expense of things that you need to do that might be a lot more important. So it, it could be as um, simple as like for example, I deleted my LinkedIn because I felt like I was just getting wild amounts of requests from strangers, and either I did stuff I didn't want to do because I felt bad, or I ignored them and I felt bad. And I was like, wait, I could just wipe out the account and not deal with this at all, or fire any people. I still haven't gotten good at firing people. I hate doing it. But what I eventually learned is I have investors, I have colleagues, I have employees, I have all kinds of people, clients, uh, portfolio companies who rely on me and rely on a certain level of performance for my operations. And if someone can't provide that level of performance and we've worked with them and, and given them probation and tried to help them improve and they can't do it, you ultimately have to fire them. And look, it sucks. It ruins their lives temporarily. Generally speaking, they come back okay, but it's still a really shitty thing to do. So um, I wish I were better at saying no. I still struggle with it every single day, but I do think it's an important quality.
1: Um, all right, we're going to see a call college tonight. tonight. I have my little surprise thing. Um, Corey, I'm going to ask you to put your, uh, just speaking to the mic, I'm going to turn your mic on so that you're going to pick one. So um, now that you're not anti-New York Times anymore, by the way, um, yep. uh, I can, I can, I can... I'm still uh, anti the reporters and
0: editors that wrote that bullshit hit piece on Right, me. okay, fair enough.
1: Um, but you're not anti the food people. So um, no. this weekend, there was a fantastic uh, insert in the paper edition of the New York Times, which I realize is, like, almost nobody so gets. You I, I get it. About that, oh, yeah, okay. I get it. Just so, Saturdays and Sundays. So, th- so there was the pie um, spe- special section, and they had these pretty awesome pie suggestions yeah. and recipes and pictures for um, for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to list... The six that were in there. Yeah, there are actually many more on their website. that I just looked at and they look pretty great too. But I just want your your pick of these six pies, and I want I want Corey's pick too. Yeah, ready? you ready? Eggnog sweet potato pie.
0: That's one pie.
1: That's one pie. Okay. Spiced pumpkin cheesecake. That's pie number two. Okay. Cranberry lemon meringue pie. Pie okay. number three. Pecan sandy pie which I have to say was the best looking of all the pies, like incredible. But
0: the sand is represents what? Sandy, it's sand.
1: No, sandy's a cookie. Like a pecan sandy is a type of cookie. Oh, okay. So it's a pecan sandy pie. So it's go like um, it's like a shortbread type cookie, I think. Um, maple cream pie with blueberries. Okay. And caramel apple pie. Ooh. So, <laughs> Sorry, so I'm going
0: to go start. Am I ranking them? Um, well, no,
1: you could just pick one well, if you want to rank them. Yeah, go ahead and rank them. All right, so the lemon meringue, I'll go with number one. Cranberry lemon meringue, that's number one. Yes. Okay.
0: I'll go with the caramel apple, number two. Okay. I'll go with the maple syrup, number three. That's maple cream pie with blueberries. Maple cream pie, and I love blueberries, so that, that's number three. I will go, so there was what, a, a pumpkin? There was two Spiced pumpkin
1: cheesecake, the eggnog sweet potato pie, and the pecan sandy pie. I'll go with...
0: But even though it's still unclear on what Sandy is, I'll go with pecan because I do like pecan pie. <laughs> and then I'll go with the uh, cheesecake last and the other one in the middle.
1: Okay, so the, the the spice pumpkin cheesecake is number six. and Number five is eggnogs. And is the
0: dif- degree of difficulty of making these pies roughly the same? I, or? I think
1: they didn't. None of them. I mean, the meringues are always a little annoying, I find. But I'm not a real pie maker. Although I might make one of these. Um. So I'm having lunch with our
0: mutual friend Mark Bittman this week. So I will uh, quiz him on the six and see where he comes out.
1: Yeah, he probably has some even better suggestions. I'm sure he does. Uh, Corey, what's your? You don't have to rank all six. What's your pick?
2: Well. This is annoying because Bert, Bradley and oh, I keep picking the same things. We went just, out to lunch. We ordered the same thing. Yeah, that was and you could, for I have you. proof. I wrote cran lemon and caramel apple as he was ranking them. Wow. And it's before you shared your I uh, response, I don't know. and now I feel super unoriginal for saying the top two. Well, what's your? But I have. What's your, your worst? Re- <laughs> Give us your last. Maybe that'll be different. okay. The last one is definitely the the cheesecake. That was my last one. Beca- Spice pumpkin cheesecake. Because what's wrong with that? It's not a pie. Here's the thing. <laughs> How about I explain? I'll tell you why I said the current lemon one. Because that seems like it's going to be like tart and mm-hmm. refreshing and maybe like cut through all this richness yeah. of the whole meal. You need something different. Okay. And the the, the pumpkin steak, that's a lot
0: at the end of the meal. You don't have room for that. Wow. Right, you so need two, something like... I'm going to ask each of you then, give me two pies that were not mentioned that you would put in the Pantheon.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, I like a you know from from Pete is it Pete or Petey's Pie Company that's right over here on on Delancey Street. Um, different than the sex bakery across the street. No, it's not the sex bakery. Do they, have they pies. Just, you know, I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like uh, I like that sort of chocolate chess pie. You know that kind of thing. Oh, I like I like that. And that, they have a the, salted that one.
0: That momofuku crack pie. Oh, and is that chocolate chess? Is that a? I think it's the same. Oh yeah, is it The same. It's just like basically. Like Caramel pretzels, sugar. right? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Um, although I think they changed the name from crack pie because it was mm-hmm. deemed yeah, by the to be offensive to crack users, I guess, <laughs> or something like that. Um, <laughs> banana cream would be the one I would throw out there. Oh, really? You like
1: banana I cream? Love it. Oh my god, that's so funny. I like banana cream too. Do you know like the one that you make with vanilla wafers? You know that one?
0: Mm, I don't
2: know that one. That's what? like the the pudding from
1: yeah, Emily the pudding. Baker, but yeah. I think you can put a yeah. pie in there. Anyway, yeah, wh- okay. Banana. What's your pick?
2: So not Thanksgiving, but key lime pie. Oh, key lime pie! Is key delicious. lime pie again. Like it cuts <laughs> it's through. A good, it's yes. a little
0: tart. It cuts
1: through. Do you go the to the place on Red Hook? You know that Red Hook. Uh, yeah, yeah. Key lime it, pie place. So
0: I I went to Key West once and I had the pie and it was good. This happens to me a lot. This I does go, happen to you a lot. I can this I type of story. Go to the place <laughs> that has the thing and I have the thing and it's good. Maybe it's just sort of, in some ways, the curse of living in New York City. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's a good point. But it's just, it wasn't like, I wasn't blown away. You
1: weren't like, well, I'm coming back
2: for right. this. Right, You can go to Red Hook, and it's going to be better.
0: What's the place in Red Hook? There's just Steve's, like a, Steve's, 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 Yeah,
1: it's famous. It's famous.
0: Okay. It's a destination. It's kind of a
1: dump, but the pie is delicious.
2: And they they have the frozen ones, they have the raspberry ones, the dipped in chocolate ones. All right, I'm going to go to Steve's and get
0: a pie. Okay. And the, the but seg- you, did you give your... What pies that you would put? What, in what's off the what you did. list? You, said that well, you know what's the, really the funny the though is
1: that well, right. I, I well that was the one that's not on the list. But on the list, I, I, I the one I, I do want to make the eggnog hit a pie. Uh, oh, oh, that was my bottom one. All right, yeah. will you
0: will you make it and bring it in for the podcast? Yeah, yeah, next week there there or we two go. weeks from now. Yeah, I'll do
1: that. All right,
0: thanks, guys. Bye.